Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today is Matt, Matt Smethers. Matt, welcome to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. Thanks for having me, Dave. Yeah. Can you uh, tell us about your life, marriage, ministry, and what are you working on ministry project-wise these days? Yeah, well, I am married to Megan, and we have three children, seven, five, and two. And so we are in the throes of the little years, and uh, we live here in Louisville, Kentucky, where we've been for about the past decade. I serve as an elder at uh, Third Avenue Baptist Church, and I work full-time for the Gospel Coalition as a managing editor. Well, wonderful. Um, I'm familiar with uh, some of your writing and, and social media, and I uh, appreciate the work that you're, you're doing at TGC, so please keep it up. Thank you. Uh, can you uh, please tell us about your book, Before You Open Your Bible, Nine Heart Postures for Approaching God's Word, why you wrote it, and how do you hope it's received? Yeah, well, as as you know, Dave, and as many of the listeners will be aware of, uh, there are, are many great resources already out there on how to study the Bible. M- many folks may be familiar with kind of the observe, interpret, apply rubric, which is helpful for reading and studying the Bible. Uh, what I'm aiming to do in this in this short book, and it really is short. I mean, it can be read in a sitting or two. I'm aiming to actually do some work before that stage. So this is meant to be something of a prequel or a prelude to how to read and study and apply the Bible. This is how to approach it in the first place. And as I kind of thought about the landscape of Christian literature, I actually wasn't aware of anything that exclusively focuses on this topic, how to uh, how to orient your heart, how to approach the scriptures in the first place. So that, that's why the title is Before You Open Your Bible. Now, I don't, the last thing I want to communicate is that, um, you know, you have to get yourself together spiritually in order to, to be worthy of reading your Bible, or that you should never open your Bible if you're, if you're not in the mood. That's not what I'm trying to suggest at all. I'm, I'm simply trying to say that reading the Bible is not a magical experience. We, the, the Bible is an omnipotent book because it's, it's ultimately authored by an omnipotent God. So he can, he can surprise us, he can blindside us, he can work miracles in our hearts when we least expect it. And yet we, we also should give careful consideration to the way we come to it, the way we approach it, because the way we approach it oftentimes is going to make all the difference in uh, what we see in it and what we, uh, what we get out of it. Yeah, I, I thought the book was really well done. You you have a way of um, articulating truth in a way that uh, is simple but yet profound, and that's what I found in this book as well. Is that it, you just have a way of communicating truth very simply but very powerfully, so that uh, you help the, the reader understand exactly what you mean and you mean what you say, and uh, that 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 works really well. That's that's the best kind of writing, in my opinion. So I appreciate your your work. Yeah, well, thanks for thanks for reading it, and, and I guess. One more thing that's worth mentioning, Dave, is that this is not a book that is intended for just pastors and advanced theologians. I really did try to write this book for ordinary Christians, and I hope that it'll be useful as a uh, an accessible discipling tool. 
In other words, something that, that you can read yourself, um, kind of maybe in conjunction with, with your quiet time, but also something that you could meet together with a Christian friend um, or maybe someone younger that you're discipling and walk through it. Very good. I like it. In, in what way is prayerless Christianity powerless Christianity? Yeah, well, that's kind of the first part posture that I, um, I discuss in the book is approaching the Bible prayerfully. And to answer your question, Dave, I, I should uh, mention that I, and I think I said, said this at the beginning of the chapter, that I almost omitted this chapter because, uh, and, and I said something like, you know, I, I almost omitted this chapter for the same reason you, dear reader, are tempted to either skim it or skip it. In other words, prayer is something that is not exciting, breaking news. We we understand as Christians the, the, the centrality of prayer. And as I reflected on it, though, I realized not only do I have to include this chapter, I really should put it first, because if we, if we think about various heart postures that can make all the difference in our reading and, and, and application of Scripture, nothing is more irreducibly important than prayer. And I, I'm convinced that, I, I think I say in the book, that, that our kind of prayerless approach to God's Word is a major reason for this kind of low-grade dissatisfaction that can hum beneath the surface of our lives. We underestimate the power and importance of prayer when it comes to reading our Bible. So that's what I mean when I say prayerless Christianity is powerless Christianity. Um, I think a lot of us know that intellectually. We affirm that confessionally. But practically, we live as atheists many of the time. We, we, we don't actually live our daily lives as if um, to be prayerless as a Christian is to be powerless as a Christian. But I think that's exactly what um, Scripture presents as true. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I, I know I've been a Christian um, a little over 30 years since I was five and I'm 38. And, you know, <laughs> we can just walk into a routine. Well, it's just something that I do. Well, maybe I pray or I read my Bible, but it, it's just another thing I do. And you treat it like a duty instead of a delight. And God invites us to, to he summons us, Hebrews 4, uh, 14 through 16, uh, to his throne, the throne of grace. And um he he desires us to to come and to delight in him and and to know him and to enjoy him and so i i, I just uh, i think that this is a, a powerful reminder um and a help to people that maybe haven't even considered that or maybe they have and they've just forgotten it so i i think that's those are good words can you uh please tell us uh, what john piper means by um the acronym i o u s and how it helps christians prepare their hearts to hear from god yeah so when you know, once we acknowledge that prayer is vitally important when it comes to preparing our hearts to, to engage with God in His Word, it, it can be easy to just kind of leave it at that and, and make people feel like, okay, uh, I just guess I've got to pray more. But I wanted to give, give some handles, some concrete handles that people could hold on to to help them along in this. And um, I couldn't improve on, on what I've gleaned from Piper, and that is a... Um, a, a four-letter acronym, I-O-U-S, that corresponds, uh, each each letter of which corresponds to a prayer from the book of Psalms. And he often will pray through these four requests before he opens his Bible. And I, I want to commend that practice to readers and, and to listeners here. So I, uh, I stands for the first petition, Psalm 119.36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Oh, open my eyes that I, I may see wonderful thing in your law. That's Psalm 119.18. You unite my heart to fear your name. Psalm, that's Psalm 86.11. 
And I think the NIV uh, renders that, give me an undivided heart that I may hear your name. In other words, what, what um, David is asking there in Psalm 86 is, God, I've, I've come, I, I come to you right now with a heart that is fragmented in a thousand different directions. And, and we all know this experience. Uh, we, we have joys, we have sorrows, we have distractions, we have burdens, we have a to-do list, and we need to come to God and ha- ask Him to quiet our hearts and to say, God, unite my distracted, divided heart to fear your name. And then finally, at Psalm 90, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. So that is not a, again, that is not a magical formula, but I think it, it's useful in helping to kind of prime the pump of our heart. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once observed that that biblical passages, biblical text, will often refuse to reveal their treasures till we open them with the key of prayer. And so that's that's what I, I think that this IOUS rubric uh, can kind of help us do. Because if you think of our hearts as sometimes being just cold and numb and indifferent to the Word of God, Scripture is is something you know you could think of it as as like a like a fire and a Approaching scripture prayerfully is bringing our cold heart beside the fire of God's word where it'll it'll grow warm. Mm, that's really good. Really good. How should God's generous self-disclosure in the word of God humble God's people? Yeah, well, that's the, the, the second uh, heart posture that I'm, I'm commending is, is approaching uh, our Bibles, not just prayerfully, but also humbly. And I think that we often consider things in the Bible that astonish us, but I don't think we often consider that the Bible itself should astonish us. Mm. That the existence of the Bible, just the fact that we're holding it in our hand, is concrete evidence that the maker of the universe loves us and wants a relationship with us because he didn't have to reveal himself to us. He didn't have to, uh, as one person put it, forfeit his personal privacy in order to defend us. He didn't have to do that with Adam and Eve before sin, and he certainly didn't have to do it with rebels against his throne like us. And yet we serve a God who is talkative, a God who loves to, to speak and wants to befriend us over the pages of his word. And so mm. uh, you ask, how, how, how should God's generous self-disclosure humble us? Well, I think it should humble us by recognizing that adjective, that it's generous, it's undeserved. Mm. We are not entitled to hearing from a holy God, and yet he loves us so much, despite our sin, that he has pursued a relationship with us and wants us to know him and experience him through this book. And so we should never take for granted that the exalted creator would befriend the work of his hands, but that's precisely what he has done. I think sometimes... I know, I know I'm guilty of this myself. We think, you know, God gave us a book and he does exactly as you said, but, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go do my own thing, think my own way. And what we need to understand is th- that's a danger zone. Um, we have an authoritative word and we're not supposed to be hearers only, as James says, but, but doers of the word, you know, and we need to, by, by the grace of God and through the Holy Spirit, we can obey God's commands. Um, and walk in his ways and the and the pattern that he has called us to and that that is, just thinking about that should should humble humble ourselves even even more for the for the grace of God yeah. that he has revealed in the in the word and all those all those things and for all those reasons in addition to what you said yeah that's exactly right what are some practical steps to approach the word desperately yeah well that that follows on the heels of approaching it humbly as I think if, if, if we have a have a right understanding of just the sheer miracle that it is that God has revealed himself to us in scripture and how dependent we are on him and therefore his words, then we're going 
going to approach it the way that we, uh, a starving person, would approach a feast. We're, we're going to approach it desperately. And another little word picture that I, I derive from Piper is this idea of, of stuffing ourselves with gnats and therefore losing our appetite for the feast. So it, it, if you imagine uh, being invited to a, um, a fancy four-course dinner at like 3 p.m. one day, and you know you're going to have dinner in two hours, and you're bummed because it's your it's your favorite restaurant. Uh, you you want to have a massive appetite to enjoy this feast, and yet you have been eating Cheetos all day. Uh, that that is going. You're, you know you, you've been nibbling so much uh, from the Cheeto bag that that you don't have an appetite for the feast. And I think that's actually what we can tend to do in our spiritual lives. We can. We can be nibbling so long from the table of the world, eating kind of the world's finger food, that we have little appetite left for God. Uh, if, we're, if we're snacking on Cheetos, we shouldn't be surprised when we don't have room for steak. And so one thing that I encourage readers to do is just to ask themselves uh, on a regular basis a series of, of questions, simple questions, almost insultingly simple questions, but questions that we, we need to face often, such as, you know, am I approaching the Bible more like it's a snack or more like it's a feast? I might say it's a feast, I might affirm it's a feast, but am I approaching it as if it's just a snack? Um, you know, am I, am I merely, another question would be something like, is it more accurate to say I'm, I'm willing to hear from God or that I'm desperate to hear from God? I mean, any professing Christian is going to say that, oh, yes, I'm willing to hear from God, uh, I'm happy to hear from God, you know? if he wants to tell me something, but I'm not, but maybe they don't feel desperate to hear from him. Um, another question would be something like, am I merely interested in the scriptures or am I also internalizing them? You know, pray that the Holy Spirit would help you to approach the Bible, not just as a book that will satisfy your curiosity, but as a book that will transform your life. And that's what I'm, I'm trying to get at, Dave, when, when, when I, I'm talking about approaching scripture desperately. And I, and I would commend Psalm 119 uh, to to listeners, Psalm 119 is not only the longest psalm in the book of Psalms, but it's actually longer than 26 books in the Bible, uh, 26 books of the Bible, and, and, and it's all about the beauty of the Word of God and the longing for God's Word, the craving for God's Word, the, the appetite for God's Word that accords with what it is. And when, when, my, when I feel like I've been stuffing myself on Cheetos, I often will turn to Psalm 119 to help me kind of re-engage and, and, and redevelop the appetite for Scripture that I, that I should have. Yeah, as you're talking, I'm just you remind me of of uh, studying um, Greco-Roman philosophy when I went as a philosophy student, and uh, you know they're 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 so emphasized that the knowledge of the mind, the life of the mind. You know, as Christians, we're not against the life of the mind, but for us, we begin the the the, the Hebrew idea of knowledge begins, as you know, and many of our listeners know, in the heart, and you know. Mm-hmm. God, that's why God has to change our heart. He has to give us, t- replace that heart of stone and give us that new heart so, so that we can see him and as Piper talks about and, and savor him and, and delight in him. Um, apart from that sovereign work of God's grace, uh, you know, we can't see and savor. Um, uh, we can fill our heads with, with knowledge and, um, like you're talking about and, and give, you know, intellectual assent to it, but we're, we're never going to experience heart, uh, and life, genuine life transformation. Right. 
How can uh, Christians grow in their theological knowledge with a view to stoke their worship, deepen their love, and fuel their mission to make disciples of the risen of Christ for the glory of God? Well, this uh, I think you're, you're drawing that question from the, the chapter on approaching the Bible studiously, which for some readers and listeners is going to be the chapter that they resonate with most for others who grow up in less theologically serious environments, that this may be the, the, the least interesting or the most intimidating chapter, because here I'm encouraging readers to face the fact that they are a theologian. The question is, the only question is whether or not they're, they're a good one. And I try to show with some practical examples in answer to your question, Dave, that, that actually theological knowledge is not something just for ivory tower academics. In fact, we all of us know what it is to study what we love. Uh, just today, I uh, responded to a, a fun question I saw on Twitter. Who was your favorite athlete uh, when you were 10? And my answer, uh, because Michael Jordan was playing baseball at that time, my the answer for me was King Griffey Jr., uh, the center, center fielder for the Seattle Mariners. And I, was, I collected King Griffey Jr. baseball cards. I memorized King Griffey. Junior statistics, and it's not because I had some odd obsession with statistics. In fact, I wasn't a big fan of math at school, but the reason why I love studying King Griffey Jr. stats was not because I love stats, but because I love him. I, I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could about the hero I revered. Uh, or, you know, Dave, if, if you were to ask me uh, more about my wife and I were to say, oh, she's, she's incredible. Um, I love her so much. And I were to start uh, tearing up and just and just gushing about her and saying, you know, she's she's from Vermont. She's a blonde. She hates chocolate. Well, my actual chocolate-loving brunette who hails from Virginia would not be honored by that description, no matter how effusive my praise was. I could gush all day long about what she's like, but unless my words reflect who she actually is, she'll be insulted. And so theology is the fuel. It's not the impediment to mission. It's not the impediment to worship. It's actually the fuel of mission and the fuel of worship, because the more we get to know God for who he really is, the more we'll want to go out and spread his name to others. The more we'll want to enjoy him, just like Paul, he comes to the end of uh, the deep end of the theological pool in Romans chapter 11, and he just, his heart just explodes in doxology. Oh, the, how, how deep the, the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God is. Like he can't, after doing serious, rigorous theological thinking, it's like Paul can't stop there. He has to move into praise. And so that, that's my hope, um, is that we would all approach our Bibles studiously, not for the sake of study, not for the sake of, of just crossing our theological uh, keys and dotting our theological eyes, but for the sake of worship and enjoyment of God. That's really well said. And uh, by the way, um, I, you've got me, you've got my full attention because I'm, I'm from Seattle and, uh, I, I met Ken Griffey, um, when I was younger and, um, I'm a huge fan of his. And, uh, so nice. yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. I guess we have that in common. Although do you like the Seattle manners? No, I was more of just a, a Griffey fan, but you know, that yeah. was his payday. Um, you know, one of those, those years was when he won the home run, uh, derby in Baltimore and he hit the, he hit the warehouse, the brick warehouse. Yeah. And, yeah, he was incredible to watch. Yeah, he was. They don't, uh, not many players like him, that's for sure. Yeah.
Why why isn't trusting every sphere of one's life to the Lord not something we we do instead of enjoying him but the way of enjoying him and the secret to joy in the Lord? Well, in our cultural moment in the late modern west, obedience in general is an unpopular concept. Now, obedience has never been super popular in the sense that fallen human beings do not want to be told what to do. They want to call the shots. That's been the case ever since the Garden of Eden. And yet, we are all formed, our identities are formed by the cultures in which we live. And historically, in more traditional cultures, your identity, your your sense of self, your sense of worth, has been formed largely by what other people tell you you are, what your clan, what your tribe, what your community says you are. And the heroic narrative in traditional cultures is actually suppressing your internal desires for the good of the community. Whereas the heroic narrative in our late modern Western culture is the exact opposite. And just find a Disney film near you to understand what I'm talking about. It is it is it is to suppress it is to look within yourself, find what you want, find who you are, and then express that without regard to what anyone tells you. So it's the exact opposite. If traditional culture said you are your duties, modern culture says you are your desires. But scripture crashes into our experience and says no to both. Scripture says you are not just your duties, you are not just your desires, you shouldn't suppress your 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 uh, desires for the sake of some human community, and you shouldn't suppress um, the authorities around you for the sake of your internal desires. You are you belong to Christ, and in obeying Christ, you're actually liberated to enjoy God. It's the thing for which you were made, and it's so counterintuitive, Dave, because when we think that the Bible's command constrict us, when actually they free us, we, we think that God is just a killjoy when actually, as one person put it, he's just wanting to guard us from everything that kills joy. Uh, so it's to the degree that we align our lives with his revealed word, we are we are walking on the path of joy um, rather than, you know, uh, encountering encountering a dead end. So I just think more than ever, this this uh, note needs to be sounded by Bible-believing Christians that obedience leads to joy. Yeah, real joy. I think a lot of Christians, they, they struggle with, with this, as you know as well, and I, I do also, you know, for... They think it's a just another thing, you know. But what they, I think, they fail to understand is that God says uh, in in Nehemiah that the the joy of the Lord is our strength, and all of those things. And the and Lamentations it says that the mercies of God are new every morning, you know. So if you get up every morning and you say, "God, thank you," have have a thankful heart. God, thank you so much that your mercies are new today, and I can I can trust you, and um, you're sovereign, and and you're good, and and all of these things. Um, um, your, the posture of your heart is going to to, to fundamentally change from uh, one of just seeing it as something to check off to no, you're actually going to enjoy this God. You're going to love this God. You're going to grow in fellowship and communion, and you're, you're going to so your spiritual growth is going to soar. Um, just just that subtle thing, but it's not subtle. It's it's huge, as we know. What, what do you personally do to overcome the feeling when your Bible reading feels more like a duty than a delight? Well, this happens often, uh, and I, um, I, there, there are a few things I do when I'm doing the right thing. And I think one thing is, is to remind, well, to, to identify the lie. So 
lies thrive in the darkness, and oftentimes we need to grab lies and bring them out into the light and stare them in the face in order to see the foolishness of them. Uh, scripture often talks about the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is always fundamentally irrational. Sin is always at bottom insane, but it often seems reasonable and attractive and even um, necessary because it's, it's hiding and thriving in the darkness. So the first thing I want to do, I want to do when, when I find my heart growing cold toward God and the things of God is to, is to bring the lie that real joy is found in listening to me, listening to myself, because that's what the world is whispering. That's what Satan is whispering to me. You know, Matt, joy and satisfaction and freedom is found when you listen to yourself. And I want to look at that and I want to say, no, no, real joy, real freedom is found, not in listening intently to me, but in listening intently to God. And the other thing I'd say, Dave, is just that there is no magic formula beyond what we know to be true in other realms of life. So if, if, if I haven't been eating healthy for a while, it's really difficult to start back again. But the more you do it, the easier it becomes. If I haven't exercised in a while, it is really difficult to get back on the horse um, or, or the machine, I guess would be the more modern way to say it. But that is, uh, and, and we know that it's the nature of discipline to give way to delight. That is how things work. And it's the same when it comes to um, our prayer lives. It's the same when it comes to uh, the discipline of evangelism. It's the same when it comes to the discipline of reading scripture. Um, it's, it's, it's just sometimes forcing ourselves to do it, and ideally in the context of a community with people who are going to hold us accountable to do it together with them, and to watch how that those little baby steps of obedience do result in joy. It may not be immediate, and it may not be um, unbroken, but, but increasingly and really, uh, discipline will give way to delight. Well said. What do word-filled friendships look like? Friendships where that are uniquely Christian. So there's nothing wrong. In fact, I think it's a good thing when Christians can can relate to one another about all sorts of things, and they don't all have to be explicitly spiritual. It's fine to talk to your friends about the NBA Finals. Uh, it's fine to talk to your friends about King Griffey Jr. or about your favorite restaurants or your, or whatever it may be. But there is something about the texture of a Christian friendship that should be distinct than what the world can understand or explain. A Christian friendship should have the aroma of Christ. It should be uh, a context in which two or more people are trying to do one another good spiritually. And, and so there's going to be a level of deliberateness, um, to use a word that's probably overused in Christian circles. There's going to be intentionality, right? You're not just going to assume that a, a deep friendship is just going to happen, that you're just going to catch it like a, like the common cold. No, a, a, a deep, God-honoring Christian friendship is going to be something that requires work. It's going to require um, this kind of uh, resolve to do spiritual good to those around you. So a word-filled friendship is a friendship that is, even if the Bible is not always being explicitly referenced, it's going to be a friendship that is framed and, and saturated by the Word of God. Um, and uh, Paul is clear about this, that in our everyday lives, we should be admonishing, you know, he talks about this in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, that, that we should be admonishing one another, encouraging one another um, with the Word of God so that we as the people of God can be conformed more and more to the Son of God himself. Yeah, that's really good. Um, another thing I would just add to that is uh, just open and honest, transparent communication. You know, if we're going to 
have these word-filled friendships we have to be honest with each other about you know in, in appropriate ways of course um add that qualifier about what's going on in our lives and uh sharing sharing openly and honestly with with one another about that and asking for, asking for prayer um encouraging one another as you as you said so well so i, I think all of that's really good um why do we need to read scripture and community with other christians None of us has a has a corner on the truth, and we none of us none of us comes to scripture with the perfect perspective. We we all bring that that you know different experiences and intuitions and beliefs and biases and and all of that is going to affect the way we read scripture. What we tend to overemphasize, what we tend to un- underemphasize, what we tend to see immediately, what we tend to not see at all, and so the. The more we can read scripture in the context, not just of a community, but a community that is uh, that is diverse, because it doesn't help if you're just in a room full of clones. Uh, but to whatever degree we can we can read scripture alongside those with different experiences, Christians with different backgrounds, uh, Christians with different burdens, then we will be be given the gift of eyes to see what we otherwise would. Uh, my colleague and prophet TGC, Colin Hansen, has a good book on this topic which I would commend to listeners. Yeah, I, I think that just this idea that wisdom is collective. When, wisdom is not something you yourself possess solely in the privacy of your room when you're having a quiet time with Jesus. So I commend that. Wisdom is something that is collective. And so as much as possible, your Christian life should be a church life, a, a life that is lived out in the context of um, a covenant community of Christians. I don't have anything to add to that. That's that's really well said. Really well said. What, what does it mean to be Christocentric in our reading and teaching of Scripture? It just means Christ-centered. So I, the, the, my last chapter is titled A Prayer Through Bible Christocentrically, which I admit is clunky, but I had to, in order to be consistent, I had to use a, an adverb that ended in L-Y, and Christ-centeredly doesn't really work. So Christocentric just means centered on Christ. It's important because the whole Bible is ultimately about not you, not me, not a set of ethical principles, but about the Lord Jesus Christ, his beauty, his glory, his person, his work. And we know that's the case, Dave, of course, when we're reading the Gospels, the biographies of his life. We generally know that's the case when we're reading the epistles, uh, because those are uh, not explanations of his life, but those are applications of his teaching. But the bulk of your Bible is the what we call the Old Testament. 39 out of the 66 books in your Bible are in the Old Testament. And these books, when you, as a, as a I'm you know, addressing listeners uh, to, to the podcast, when you come to the realization that your entire Bible is about Jesus, not just your New Testament, but the whole thing, that the Old Testament is anticipating him, previewing him, picturing him, and various persons and events and institutions, as um, as one children's story the Bible says, every page whispers his name, so like little echoes of the future, then this is going to enrich your Bible reading. And this is exactly what happened when Jesus got up from the dead and he encountered the men on the road to Emmaus and he led them in the most epic Bible study of all time where the Son of God himself is opening the scriptures and showing them from the Old Testament how everything that had just occurred with his life, death, and resurrection had to come about because of what was written in the Old Testament and how everything that it said there about him had come true. Uh, so, so there is a sense, Dave, in which without 
this final chapter, it would not be a fully Christian book that I've written. Uh, but it's this that really distinguishes Christianity from every other moral system that would, you know, quote Jesus. It, that we understand that it's the gospel, the good news of what God has accomplished in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to reconcile rebels like me, like you, to himself. That it's that good news which needs to shine forth um, from our lives and ministries because it shines forth from the pages of, of Scripture. So that, that's all I'm trying to say when, it, when I say approach your Bible Christocentrically. Understand that the whole thing is centered on Jesus, the hero. Mm, well said, brother. Why is approaching your Bible well an act of worship? Well, most simply, it's an act of worship because it's an act of obedience. And we worship God when we obey his commands. Uh, but it's, it's also an act of worship because, like you referenced earlier, it's not always easy. It, it, it's actually often hard. I remember when I was a, a kid one time, my my dad told me that when we wake up in the morning, it's almost like Satan just has his finger on the cover of our Bible. Mm-hmm. Just, just not, you know, he will do anything he can to distract us, to make us postpone it, to, to um, say, to, to make it feel not urgent. And so approaching our Bible consistently and faithfully, even when we don't feel like it, is, is an act of worship because it's an act of faith. It, it, it's saying, God, I don't feel like doing this right now. I feel really familiar with what's here. Or, I, on the other hand, I feel really intimidated with what's here. But whatever whatever may be the case, I don't feel like reading my Bible right now. But I'm going to do it anyway because I trust you. I trust you, and I'm going to walk by faith that actually this will be the pathway to, to joy. This will be the pathway to, to glorifying you. And that this is what I need, even if everything in my sinful flesh is convincing me I don't. Hmm. That's really, really well said, brother. Well, Matt, um, just as we wrap this up, and I really have enjoyed this conversation. As listeners, go ahead and pick up your book. Um, can you give us a few takeaways? Well, first of all, thank you <laughs> to those of you who are uh, still listening to this. And, and I do hope that the book will be helpful to you and encouraging to you. There, it, You're not going to find anything in it that is brand new. Um, at least I hope you won't. Uh, I, I, I hope that more than anything, these will just be uh, fresh and hopefully timely reminders that I know I need. And my my one uh, encouragement, I guess, as, as as we conclude, Dave, would be to encourage folks to just to not be overwhelmed by this list of nine ways you've got to get your heart right before you open your Bible. I think the one thing I want to say is, hey, just identify one or two of these heart postures that you feel like you're weak in, or that you just maybe you used to feel like you were strong in this area, but maybe now you feel like you've grown lackadaisical or weak. And just just share that with a friend and say, hey, I am really struggling to approach scripture prayer these days. I just want to rush into it and rush out of it and get on with my day. Um, or I'm really struggling to approach scripture obediently. Um, I I like I like being in you know I, I find it fascinating sometimes to hear sermons or, or read perplexing passages, but I just don't really often like what I'm reading. I don't want to do what God is telling me to do. Will you help me? So that that would be my encouragement to listeners is to just take some baby steps. Don't try to master it all at once. Just pick one or two things uh, that, that you can grow in and then bring in someone else or, or, or a couple other people from your campus ministry or church and do it together. It's been said that if we want to run fast, we can run alone. But if we want to finish, then we need to run together. And uh, Christian history is 
littered with stories of people who were fast out of the gate, but who didn't make it to the finish line. And I think one of the ways that we are all going to make it to the finish line together is by locking arms and understanding that progress in the faith is not a solo sport, um, but it's a team effort. And we really need each other if we're going to... Um, we're going to make it to the end. Mm, that's a really good word. Really good. Well, Matt, I, I've enjoyed this conversation and, and getting to chat with you. It's It's been a privilege and just continue to pray Christ Church's blessings on your ministry at TGC and there at Third Avenue and Baptist Church. Yeah, thanks Dave so much for having me and keep up the good work with the website and the podcast. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsofgrace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.